a well-known and a, a well-loved psalm, I'm sure, for many of you, perhaps most of you. It's a psalm of confidence, a psalm of protection, and a psalm about the goodness of God. Yet this week, as we come to reflect on this psalm and on these themes, is a week in which we've seen much suffering and much destruction. On our TVs, in the newspaper, when we read and when we watch what is going on in Lebanon and in Israel. So how do we hold these two things together? Another of the world's infamous trouble spots is, of course, Northern Ireland, a place close to my own heart. After the Oma bombing in 1998, you too wrote this song, Peace on Earth, which I'm going to read some words. Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line? Peace on earth. Jesus, in the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat. Peace on earth. I hear it every Christmas time, but hope and history won't rhyme. So what's it worth? How do we hold these two things together? Hope and history our hope and our faith in a good God, but yet what we see in history and in the real world. I don't plan on giving a full and complete answer to this question, but I hope that in this psalm there are thoughts and reflections which will enable us as we pray through and think through these issues. Let us read the psalm. I'll read it out loud. Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd I shall not be in want He makes me lie down in green pastures He leads me beside quiet waters He restores my soul He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we think of hope versus history, when we think of the problem of suffering and of evil, it becomes in many ways an attack on the character of God. And this psalm opens with an affirmation of God's goodness. God is good in verses 1 to 3. And this is shown for us in the image of a shepherd and a sheep. The shepherd and the sheep is an image of dependency. The shepherd is good to and for the sheep. So much so that the sheep shall not be in want. In verses 2 and 3, we see three types of needs that are fulfilled by the shepherd. The need of hunger, of thirst, and of direction. All three which are filled by the shepherd. 
And the language here is very strong, pointing to a strong, a sovereign, we might say in theological terms, a strong shepherd. It talks of the shepherd causing the sheep to lie down. A very strong role in fulfilling needs. This is the image that I think many of us have, that I have when I come to this psalm. An image of a shepherd. I think of protection, of provision, and of guidance. But that is one side of the coin. The other thing we see in these verses is an image of intimacy. The image of the shepherd and the sheep. The image of the shepherd in the Old Testament has been used right from the start, from the book of Genesis. But what we see here is the words, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. And there's that sense of intimacy, of a personal, specific relationship. And that note of intimacy is carried on into the New Testament when we see again the imagery of a shepherd and his sheep. The famous parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. And the shepherd goes looking for the lost sheep. When he finds that sheep, he picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, and carries it home. What closeness. What intimacy. So we have a God of intimacy and a God of protection and strength. Those points would come across very strongly to an audience of the time. To the Israelites, as they use this psalm in worship of their God. I fear for some of us, some of these points are lost. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not from a farming background. Um, If anything, my knowledge of farming is probably negative for all the misinformation I have about it. My memory of farming is going down to my cousin's farm and uh, he was trying to bring me into this field to see his new new, uh, bullock. It was very exciting for my cousin. And uh, I was trying to get through this um, electric fence and uh, I slipped on the bottom wire and I grounded the current. And I was, so I was lying uh, on the ground with one foot still on the wire and I just sort of bounced up and down for a couple of minutes letting the current come through me until he came to my rescue. So my knowledge of farming is pretty low. In fact, negative. But when I try to think of this image of a shepherd and the sheep, uh, something struck me last weekend. We had uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and their kids over last weekend. <clears throat> my nephew Adam is three, and uh, I learned something last weekend that a three-year-old generally uh, tends to rule the remote control uh, in the house. So we watched this film five times last weekend uh, called Racing Stripes. To be honest, it's not a film I'd actually recommend you get out. Um, It's about a zebra who wants to be a racehorse and wants to race. It's a strong theme, I can see you're getting that. But when the zebra is first found by the farmers, the zebra falls off basically the back of a lorry. He should be uh, in a circus. And his family take him in. Um, And what happens is that the zebra is detached from his mother. So to feed the zebra, they use milk through a milk bottle. And that's something we think of maybe more nowadays than in the ancient Middle East, but an image of a shepherd or a farmer and his sheep. 
where a lamb who is detached from his mother is fed through a milk bottle. That's an image of provision, of protection of life, but also of great intimacy. And this is our God. An image of how we relate to our God. And of how our God feels for us and cares for us. As the psalm goes on, it is not just God acting from his heart. That is there, that is his love and his care. That is part of the image of the shepherd. But he also says that God acts for his name's sake. And when Yahweh, or God in the Old Testament, was the shepherd of his sheep, the protection and care of Israel reflected on Yahweh himself. Yahweh wanted to reach the nations. And how Israel fared as a nation was part of that. So protection and care of the sheep of Israel reflects on God. And God protects because of his name and because of the promises that he has made. So we have a God who protects us, who loves us from his heart and through his promises. But there's something deeper here. We have this description of the goodness of God, but that is not all. There is this sense of, of where is the author coming from? Where does the psalm spring from his heart? Where did it come from when it might have been sung in worship? For the Israelites and for us now. And there is this sense that it's coming from the author's heart, from his own experience of God's goodness. This is not just goodness described to us. It is goodness demonstrated. This is the author's experience. And as we read this psalm, there is a a theme and a current underflowing it of the Exodus. Of God's goodness demonstrated in history. The imagery of a shepherd and his sheep is used of the Exodus in Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verses 51 to 53. I'll read it for you. He struck down all the firstborn of Egypt, the first fruits of manhood in the tents of Ham. But he brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the desert. He guided them safely, so they were unafraid. But the sea engulfed their enemies. This talk of a shepherd and a sheep is reminiscent of the Exodus, of God's great act in history when he rescued and saved his people. Many of the individual phrases here in this psalm are evocative of language used elsewhere to describe the Exodus. So this is God's goodness demonstrated. So when we think of hope versus history, the hope that we have in God is not a hope separated from history, separated from the real world, but a hope that has taken place, that springs from actions in the real world. Our hope is a hope that comes from God's actions in history. The goodness of God has been demonstrated in the Exodus, in the Old Testament, and now for us, in the person and work of Jesus.
Jesus the Good Shepherd. It has been read for us this morning in John 10 of how the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A point there when we come to think about suffering, that our salvation, our rescue, was won by the suffering of Jesus. A point we cannot omit when we come to this topic. So God's goodness has been demonstrated in history. And this is the first thing for us to remind ourselves of. The first thing for us to know as we consider or reflect on issues of suffering. Jose Mourinho is probably a a name familiar to some of you, particularly the football fans. He's the manager of Chelsea Football Club, for those of you who don't know. He's famous for being a successful manager, but also for being quite a arrogant, shall we say, character. I was going to say confident, but let's be honest. He's quite an arrogant character, um, and he's quite known for for things that he does, uh, management techniques that he has. Before he came to Chelsea, Mourinho was a manager in Portugal. He was a manager of Porto, one of the biggest football clubs in Portugal. But previous to that, he had also managed Benfica. Benfica and Porto are the two biggest clubs in Portugal. Now, when he was manager of Porto, he had to bring his team back to Benfica to play a league game in their ground. Mourinho had left under uh, a bit of a cloud and there had also been a long history between these two clubs as rivals. So he knew that when his team came to that ground, when they walked out on the pitch, that they would be open to a torrent of abuse and of venom. So what Mourinho did was he went out by himself. He left his players in the tunnel and he walked out onto the pitch himself. He went to the dugout, his place in the stands, by himself. And all the abuse came down from the opposition fans. All sorts of slagging, of spitting, all sorts of of abuse. Then a couple of minutes later when his players walked out the worst of that abuse had gone. In effect they were saved from it. Now it's not a, a perfect analogy of the cross but what we see there is Mourinho being a shepherd to his team protecting them from the abuse that they could have received. And because of that experience, those players knew the goodness of God. So the first point from this psalm is that when we come to reflect on issues of suffering, let us affirm and remember the goodness of God. The big danger for us, the danger when we see suffering on TV, is that it just bombards our minds. And it is all we think of. When we experience suffering in our own life, or the life of friends, is that it just becomes pervasive in our thoughts. And we cannot dwell on anything else. And we no longer remember the goodness of God. That we only look at one part of history, one part of the real world. Let us have balance. When we apply the psalm to ourselves, 
Let us dwell on Scripture and know the goodness of God described. But let us reflect on our own lives and let us remember and recall the goodness of God in our lives. That is why we share communion. And there are many other ways of remembering. Let us move on. As we come to this image of a shepherd and a sheep, we know that as the shepherd is trying to bring a sheep from place A to place B, that everywhere they go through on that journey will not necessarily be the same. They will go through different places. In the ancient Middle East, they would have gone through quite often what were known as wadis or dry stream beds, big, deep canyons, so deep that the sunlight wouldn't have come into the bottom. So at the bottom of the canyon, it would have been dark, with dark shadows. There would have been little grass and little water and stifling heat. So at times, the sheep on their journey would have gone through these places. Uh, Something that maybe we can actually imagine given the last couple of weeks we've had in Oxford. What I would say, not just stifling, oppressive heat. Imagine that oppressive heat with no grass or water, maybe no food or water is uh, more appropriate for us. And you can imagine how that would have been seen as a dark valley. Those experiences would have been tough with much hardship. And for us as Christians, the journey of life will bring us through different things, different events, different stages, different seasons of life. And there are times in our own lives that we will go through dark valleys. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. On the specific issue of suffering and of hardship, when we come to those times, we have a great promise. The promise of God's presence with us at those times. God is with us. Indeed, in this very first you can sense the presence of God. You can sense the author knowing this presence. He talks of your rod and your staff. Up to now in the psalm, he has talked of he leads me and he restores me. Here we, we move from the language of he to the language of you and that sense of God's presence. And it brings comfort. A rod that protects us from wild beasts from enemies and a staff that guides us in the right path. And this image of God's presence is carried on in the next point, in the next verse. Although the image changes from that of shepherd and sheep to God as the welcoming host at a banqueting table, the point is similar. You prepare a table before me. A table, a banquet with God. A symbol of presence, of communion with God. And it is bountiful communion. My cup overflows. And this presence of God, this experience of God, 
is in the presence of my enemies. At a time of hardship and suffering, in the presence of my enemies, God is still experienced. There is still communion, indeed bountiful communion with God. I sometimes think there's a a danger for us as Christians when we come to this point. A danger that I know I uh, experienced in my own spiritual life uh, in the past. Where at times this promise of God's presence for us is treated in a glib fashion. And much of that is because in our own suffering we are going through emotional turmoil. But we we sense this as just maybe a theological notion, this belief that God is always with us, the Spirit resides within us, and we leave it at that. And something of the reality of the promise is lost because it just remains in the realms of theology but does not come down to life. The promise of God's presence with us in times of suffering and hardship is a promise of a connection an emotional and spiritual connection. This is what the incarnation is about. Jesus and God in the person of Jesus has come to earth, has experienced suffering, experienced the life of man. And God connects with our suffering because he has been there. Perhaps the most profound illustration of this is in John 11. After the death of Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, Jesus goes to the home of Lazarus and sees Mary and Martha, his sisters, who are grieving for the loss of a loved one. And when Jesus sees Mary grieving and Mary weeping, his response is this. He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved deeply moved in spirit, so much so that we know that Jesus wept. That sense of connection with God in our suffering. Jesus wept. He was moved emotionally. As we apply this point to our own lives, to times that we may go through where we struggle, let us allow God in. God wants to be there with us. He wants to comfort us and to be with us and to share with us. And it may be difficult, but let us allow God in. We know that every journey is a journey that comes to an end. A journey that has a destination. That is the purpose of the journey. And as this psalm draws to a close, we see this note of confidence in the psalmist. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This confidence of dwelling in the house of the Lord, in the presence of God, as we interpret this now for us as Christians, post-Jesus, post the New Testament, this is a promise of heaven and of eternity for us. That is our destination. 
at the end of our journey of life. And if we return to John 11, we see this clearly. In John 11, when Jesus meets Mary and Martha, both of them, both of those ladies, ask Jesus the same question. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, where were you? A question quite similar to the questions we ask in hard times. We've already seen the first response where Jesus connects emotionally and where he weeps. The second response is this, is that Jesus says, your brother will live again. Your brother will rise again. And he goes on to say that I am the resurrection and the life. And here, with this question of where were you, the question of why did my brother die? Why am I suffering? Interestingly, Jesus does not answer the question directly. He does not answer the why of suffering. Instead, he points to our future hope. A place where there will be no more suffering and no more tears. We have a great destination ahead of us. And this should give us hope in times of struggle. I don't know what all of you are experiencing now or what you have experienced in your lives. The suffering that I've experienced is, is minuscule uh, compared to what happens in this world. The times when I really struggle, the things that I find hard to cope with, is physical pain. Uh, I don't know if it's just a, a boy thing or maybe a mummy's boy thing, but I struggle with pain. It affects my attitude, my whole outlook on life during those times. And over the last couple of years, I've had this neural pain, uh, a pain in my nerves, which has gone from my fingers to my shoulders and sort of upper half of my body. And I, when that's sore, I really struggle with life. I went to a, a physio who was very good and able to deal with it. And over time, she controlled the pain and it decreased. So medically, she dealt with it. But the other thing was that probably just as big a factor is that whenever I went to her, I went to her once a fortnight, I used to go to her in despair about my pain, wondering when it would stop, how was I to cope? And I would come away a changed person in a half-hour physio session. Because she would tell me of the progress that I made and she would tell me of how we were going to fix it and to stop it. She gave me hope. My physio was as much a medical practitioner as, I suppose, a counsellor to me during those times. But that hope of a better future made a huge difference to my life and to how I coped with suffering. Whether for us today suffering is what we see on TV or whether it is more personal, I hope that these three points and this psalm may help us in some way. We remember to affirm the goodness of God, a goodness that has been demonstrated in history 
Hope and history are not separated. That we will let God in. The promise of God's presence in those dark valleys. And lastly, that we will rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Rejoice in the hope that we shall see God face to face and be with him. Let us pray.